Today, I want to continue my infrastructure theme from last week, except I want to talk about something a little different than trains and streetcars. I want to talk about something which, if you haven't already heard about it, you would probably think I was making up. A massive feat of civil engineering that transformed a city, and should forever be in the back of your mind when you hear politicians act like it's an impossible task to create infrastructure that meets our needs. Thanks for tuning in this week. You're listening to Hidden History. I'm Ellis Tucci, and this is episode 108, The Raising of Chicago. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like this episode, then consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. As always, my sources and links for further reading are in the description. One quick note, I'll be out of town next weekend, so there will not be an episode next week. Now, with that out of the way, let's get on to the episode. To talk about the raising of Chicago, it's only fitting that the first thing we need to talk about is the early history of the city. The area that is now Chicago was originally occupied by members of the Miami Nation, who were forced to cede the land to the rapidly expanding United States after the end of the Northwest Indian War, which spanned a decade from 1785 to 1795. A few years later, in 1803, the military built the first permanent American settlement on the site, Fort Dearborn, which was eventually destroyed in the War of 1812. Yet the fort's destruction did little to hamper American settlement in the area as it was rebuilt six years later and served as the nucleus from around which the town of Chicago would begin to grow. The young Chicago would be very slow to expand, and in the twelve intervening years before its official recognition as a town in 1830, it would accumulate less than a hundred permanent residents. That would soon change. Eastern capitalists recognized the town's potential as a logistical hub, connecting the Great Plains to the Great Lakes to the Mississippi River, thereby providing an easy outlet for agricultural goods to reach the markets of eastern cities. The ensuing land speculation turned Chicago into a boomtown, and only ten years after its official incorporation, Chicago's population had gone from less than 100 to over 4,000. The expansion of railroads into the Midwest only hastened its growth, and the city soon found itself home to massive stockyards and rows of slaughterhouses, which contributed greatly to the pollution and disease within the city. And this is where we start to see a problem. You see, the growing city of Chicago was situated a mere four feet above the water table of Lake Michigan, and as the years progressed, it became more and more obvious that this was a huge issue. Not because the lake might flood the city, but because that tiny elevation difference made it practically impossible to install a sewer system. As a result, human waste, as well as refuse from the slaughterhouses and stockyards, slowly began to overwhelm the unpaved city streets, which quickly devolved into cesspools of contaminated mud and still water that posed a grave public health risk to the city. In 1849, an outbreak of cholera killed almost 700 people. Five years later, another recurrence of the disease killed more than twice that, amounting to 6% of the city's total population. What was then regarded as the filthiest city in America was constantly plagued by more bouts of deadly diseases, including typhoid fever and dysentery. It was clear that without a bold solution, the problem of sanitation in Chicago would only grow worse. 
The citizens demanded that the city resolve the worsening issue, and in 1855, the board of aldermen named Ellis Chesborough, a civil engineer who was integral to the establishment of Boston's public water system, to lead the effort in cleaning up the city. What Chesborough proposed was both radical and the only option that was available to them. The entire city of Chicago would have to be lifted up. The first phase of his plan saw the construction of sewer pipes above ground at street level and the construction of new roads on top of them. Following that, every building in the city would have a cavity dug under its foundation where after the building would be lifted anywhere from 4 to 14 feet by a series of hand-operated screw jacks. The first buildings were raised in January 1858, and the process was so smooth that not only did it do no damage to the buildings, but the buildings themselves remained open and functional throughout the entire operation, with some store owners reporting increased sales during the lifting period as people were brought in by sheer curiosity. To add an extra layer of complexity to the matter, Chicago was rapidly becoming an urbanized and wealthy city, and as a result, the wood frame buildings that had previously made up a significant amount of the city's structures were seen as ugly and out of date. In a huge number of cases, the owners of these buildings chose not to have them raised, but instead have them placed upon rollers and moved to a new part of town entirely, having instead a new stone or brick building constructed at grade in their old location. For nearly a decade, roving houses and businesses became part of the daily traffic in Chicago. These buildings too remained open, even if potential customers had to jump up through a moving front door. The raising of Chicago lasted approximately 20 years, ending in the mid-1860s, at which point national attention had shifted away from the lifting city and on to the Civil War. Without the audacious raising of Chicago, it's likely that the city we know would never have existed, decaying into a ghost town or stalling its growth for decades in search of a solution. In October 1871, much of Chicago's newly elevated downtown would be consumed in the Great Chicago Fire, which, contrary to popular belief, was not started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Even though the original lifted buildings are now much scarcer than they once were, the raising of Chicago should serve as a reminder that we cannot limit our imaginations of the future. We cannot let ourselves be guided by what elected officials or moneyed interests say is not possible as we find ourselves at the dawn of a new age that will require a deep, revolutionary change in the operation of our systems, we cannot become discouraged or resigned to the supposed impossibility of the tasks ahead of us. After all, almost 170 years ago, a group of determined men uplifted an entire city by hand. Hey, thanks for listening this week. I know this was a little bit of a shorter episode, but I hope you've enjoyed it either way. If you did, then I'd love it if you subscribed and shared the show with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off.